you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hello, this is me, Misha Youssef, and this is Tell Them I Am. In 2015, I went on a road trip from Chicago to Wisconsin, and we went like really far north. Like, I think the nearest people to us were 100 miles away, which now that I think about it, was probably a dangerous situation. Anyway, it was stunning. And if you haven't been to Wisconsin, you're seriously missing out. So it was late summer, like early fall. And as we get deeper into the night, it starts to get really chilly, kind of crisp. And in the middle of the night, I go out into the backyard of the house we're staying at, And the night is so black that I had to just stand there for a second, try to find my way. And after a while, my eyes started to adjust. And there's this brightness. And I remember looking up at the sky. The stars were clearer and more crowded than I had ever seen before. It was honestly like the stars were the crowd at a concert, and I was Beyonce or something. And I swear I could see the curve of the sky, It was like I was wrapped in it almost. It was so literally beyond my reach, like forget figuratively. I felt so small, in a good way. So the next morning, I'm sitting inside on the couch with my breakfast. The sun is like especially bright. The kind of bright that even if it's cold, it kind of just warms you up. And there's this dust in the air. And for a second, the sun lights it this crowd of dust dancing. And I felt so small. My name is Manaza Alam, and I am an astronomer. I think that is the primary way that I identify myself when I meet new people. Astronauts are um, a lot of times ex-military and engineers. Like, they have survival skills. Versus astronomers are um, fabulous nerds. It's human to gaze up at the stars and contemplate the cosmos. There's a, there's a Carl Sagan quote. I'm probably paraphrasing at this point. It's, uh, not explaining science seems to me perverse. When you're in love, you want to tell the world. I grew up with my parents. My dad is from Pakistan. He moved to the U.S. in the 80s. Then my mom is from India. I have two older sisters. We're a very close-knit family. We love hanging out with each other. Like, going home, it was always, like, the highlight of my day. My parents had this interesting parenting style, which I have started to now be more aware of. I didn't have a bedtime. I didn't have a curfew. I never had any, like, rules about how long it could stay on the computer or the or the TV or or the phone. But it was kind of one of those things where if I wanted to do something, my parents would be like, mm, that doesn't seem like such a good idea. And then I would kind of like be like, oh, but I think it is. So they like, they'd say, well, go ahead, try it. 
And then I would try it and it wouldn't be a good idea. And they come back and be like, see? <laughs> I feel like I'm humble bragging about my parents, but they're really amazing people. <laughs> When I was 19 years old, I was a sophomore in college, my dad got extremely sick. So he was taking a medication for a rheumatoid arthritis treatment. The medicine was INH, isoniazin, and it's known to be extremely um, toxic. Um, we were not told that when my dad was prescribed this medication, so he was told to take this six-month course of INH, and when he was done with the six-month course, then he could come back to start his arthritis treatment. Well, five months in, my dad started getting extremely sick, um, first just getting very confused. And then one day he woke up and was just completely yellow, like completely jaundiced. His eyes were yellow, his skin was yellow. And we took him to, the, to his primary, and it turned out he was having liver failure. I remember when I heard that he was having liver failure, I didn't know what that meant. And I remember being scared, but not being sure why I was scared. A couple days after, he started to get a lot worse. Um, and there was one day, I remember it was a Saturday, we were all home and we had to do like basic errands like grocery shopping. And we're all going to Costco, which is my favorite thing ever. And my dad was, <laughs> my dad was, being, he was completely out of it. We started to get really concerned. So my mom called um, my dad's primary, who is also one of our good family friends. So he came by in the evening, putting, I remember he was like putting on my dad's shoes for him, like getting him ready to go to the hospital. And my dad was like kicking him in the face. And he eventually got my dad dressed enough to go to the hospital and, like, put him in the front seat of his car with a lot of struggle for my dad um, and drove him himself to, to the hospital NYU Langone. It turned out that his liver was 98% necrosed, which means that 98% of his liver had died. It became very clear that he needed a new liver and he needed a liver transplant. I just felt like as soon as as soon as my dad was admitted to the hospital and this need for a transplant became a reality, things kind of just felt completely different. And uh, a couple of days into being in the hospital, he fell into a coma. He apparently, before my dad slipped into the coma, he told the head transplant surgeon, please help me get better because I have to take care of my family. I really was not processing, like, what was happening. Still going to all my classes, I was still handing in all my problem sets, just kind of working on this autopilot mode where I was going about my days doing everything that I normally would going to my classes in the mornings and then I would take the six train down to NYU Langone and spend the rest of my day there. And a couple days after my dad was 
in the coma. I was getting out of class. It was like a Wednesday, and it, that was my early day. Um, so I got off of class at like 11 a.m., and I called my mom because I was getting into the train. And I told her I was coming, and she said, okay, good, come quickly because the doctors have um, called a meeting for a whole family. And I didn't know what that meant, so I rushed over. I remember sitting in this room. It was a completely sterile white room with bare walls and this clean table, and it was really cold. And I just remember them saying that my dad had been in a coma for a couple of days, and there was nothing more that they could do because his condition was so bad that they were just going to unplug all of the machines because at this point he wasn't he was in a coma and he wasn't breathing on his own and there was nothing more that they can do they couldn't find an organ that would be a good match for transplantation I kind of shut down after that but I remember that night of the meeting my mom and my uncle decided that they weren't going to leave the hospital. And my mom said that me and my sisters should go home and rest. And I remember that commute home, just not processing anything, um, just being completely numb. And then we got inside, me and my sisters, and we huddled in the same bed and we're sleeping there. And I just remember thinking, okay, so I'm 19 years old and my dad is really sick and he's going to die. It's going to be okay. He's not going to be at my college graduation, but it's going to be okay. And he's not going to be at my wedding, and it's going to be okay. He was there my whole life, and I was expecting him to be there for those big things. Telling myself over and over again, but like, but it'll be okay, was me trying trying to convince myself that my re, that this should be my reaction and that if I process what's happening in this way that it would be less painful and the thing is is like like I'm from New York City I was eight years old when 9-11 happened I had a lot of friends who lost their their fathers and their parents in 9-11 so this concept of losing a parent um, was not unfamiliar to me. It just didn't, it hadn't hit home the way, like the reality of that and the implications of that um, had never struck me. The next day I got to the hospital and I remember being really sick. So I just kind of fell asleep in one of the, um, in one of the couches in the waiting room. The next day, my dad's sister from London was also visiting at the time, and she woke me up. They, it turned out that the transplant team found an organ that seemed like a good match on paper for my dad. I just remember feeling, like, uncertain, but also, like, forward-looking for the first time in a while. And everyone came, my aunt and my cousins came, um, and my sisters were there as well, and my mom was there, and we ended up deciding, okay, so they're going to go see this organ, 
in a couple hours, and then if it's a good match, they're going to bring it back, and they're going to do the surgery, so it's probably going to happen overnight. And so I remember they came back around uh, 8 p.m. They said that the organ seemed like a good match, and uh, they were going to do the surgery. We barely slept. We were all going to sleep. And so it was me and my mom and my sisters and my aunt and my two cousins. And yeah, we, we got pizza and cookies. And I remember like not being hungry, but trying to eat and trying to sleep with the horribly fluorescent lit uh, waiting room and just not being sure what would happen. The surgery took all night. It was about uh, eight hours long. They told, they told us the surgery went well. Um, and that my dad was in recovery, but that we couldn't see him, so we could just go home and rest, and that we would we could come back the next day. Um, and I remember we got home, and we were just thinking, like, wow, we haven't had a home-cooked meal in a while. Like, let's sit and enjoy this. And then we got a call from the hospital, and um, the the nurse on the phone said, like, yeah, so it turns out that my dad had woken up, um, and he was trying to talk, and so when they, they finally took the that ventilator out, he was speaking, but he was speaking in Hordu, so the doctor's like, well, perhaps your family could come. We don't know what he's saying, so why don't you come talk to him? And they were very surprised that he had woken up. You know, when, I, when we saw my dad, he was like, first of all, he was very confused, so he was asking us, like, what happened? He didn't remember anything. Um, that had happened over the past two weeks. So the other thing is, this happened over the course of two weeks, but it felt like forever. He remembered me and my sisters. He remembered that we were his kids, but he didn't remember my mom at first. So he's like, who is this lady that keeps coming with my kids? Oh and so my, my, mom's, my mom still teases him about this. The, the people in that floor of the, the transplant unit at NYU started calling my dad the miracle man. When he was in the hospital and like right before the transplant surgery, we would come home and most of the times it was just me and my sisters because my mom would stay in the hospital and it felt really quiet and really cold and really alone. Um, so having him at home again, it just felt like everything was super light and bright and it felt like everything was, was good again. It felt like everything was back to normal. I'm an astronomer and I love astronomy for several reasons, but one of the reasons why I chose to pursue astronomy long term was because I realized that I went through this situation um, with my father and it was because of a medical mistake. And I realized then that I don't ever want my work to be such that if I make a mistake, I could ruin somebody's life. And so I love astronomy because it, it, it highlights the fact that on the timescales and size of the universe, we're nothing but on the timescale of, of a lifetime, we're everything. You can't find out more about Manaza Alam because she doesn't really have an online presence. But you can Google her and check out her really cute academic page on Harvard's website. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Them I Am. I'm Misha Youssef, 
This episode of Tell Them I Am was sound designed by Arwen Nix and written by Arwen Nix and me. Mary Knopf is my producer. And don't tell James Kim, but he can pull off a wool sweater a lot better than her. Arwen Nix is the podcast boss here at KPCC, and she is also our editor. Our engineers are Valentina Rivera and Sean Corey Campbell. Our tile art is by our talented designer, Stephanie Kraft. Our beautiful music is by David Leinard. You can find incredible illustrations of all of our guests as the episodes release. Thanks to Emin Ahmed for those. You should really see them. Just go to kpcc.org slash tell them or follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Misha Youssef. We'll be back next week with our last couple of stories. <laughs>